Hello, my name is Jody Lee Ma, and welcome to Dream Gardens, where we talk up the children's books we love. On this twice-monthly podcast, I'll interview other kids' books enthusiasts about their own favorite children's books. On today's podcast, I'll be talking to Dania Ramos, uh, author, educator, playwright, and manager of the Cocotazo Audio Theater. We'll be having a conversation about the novel Call Me Maria by Judith Ortiz Coffer. Now, I've never read the novel before this interview or anything at all by Judith Ortiz Coffer. And so it came as a bit of surprise to me when Danya mentioned to me after the interview was all over that Ms. Coffer actually had passed away a few years back, um, 2016, actually. And there's something sad in a particular way I can't quite describe to hear of an author's death, you know, particularly an author you really enjoy reading, even if their words still live on in the books they left behind. Now, I don't usually try to match up the poem I've read before the interview with the interview itself, uh, but I will this time. I'm going to read something from a poetry book I've read from before. Uh, The name of that book is Love to Mama, A Tribute to Mothers, uh, edited by Pat Mora. Uh, This poem is one written uh, by Ms. Coffer. It's called Palomita, and it's a really a lovely poem, but you'll have to excuse my terrible pronunciation of the Spanish words, uh, both when I read this poem and in the interview ahead. Palomita by Judith Ortiz Coffer. Wearing a sky-blue skirt embroidered by an old woman named Consuelo from a story she told Mommy a long time ago on her island, a suento in gold, brown, and silver threads, a shower of sunlight falling like drops of gold on a little golden girl who turns into a silver dove and flies around and around a blue sky. My mommy is walking with me in the park. Palamita, Palamita is the name she calls me, her little dove, happy to be going anywhere with her, flying like a bird around and around my mommy in her sky-blue skirt made from an island story. My guest today is Dania Ramos, educator and playwright, as well as author of the 7th Grade Sleuth Book series. In addition, she's podcast manager for the Cocotazo Audio Theater, for which she's written the children's audio fiction series, Time Storm. You can find Dania's website at www.daniaramos.com and the Cocotazo Audio Theater at www.cocotazomedia.com. Uh, thank you for joining me today, Dania. Thank you so much for having me. Now, I, I mentioned you have this series, the Seventh Grade Sleuth series. Can you talk a little bit about oh, what those books are? Sure, yeah. So the Seventh Grade Sleuths uh, is a mystery series for middle grade, and it's about a group of friends who are also amateur detectives. <laughs> um, the first book is uh, Who's Who, and it features a case about uh, scenery for the upcoming drama club production that's been vandalized. And then the second book is Ignacio in the Dark, and that also deals with a mystery. It's uh, behind the the um, the out-of-control telescope at the local environmental center. And both books actually also involve personal mysteries um, that center on family and identity of the protagonist. And where did you get the idea of writing these particular books? 
So I always loved mysteries as a kid. (laughs) Um, So I definitely was drawing upon that. And I also think growing up, I would have loved to have read about adventures of young sleuths that looked like me. Um, And uh, yeah, so I I just, I think I wrote uh, some books that I would have loved to read as a kid. Now you have two books in this series. Is this something you'd like to, these characters you'd like to visit again for further adventures? Yeah, I have a couple of more stories that I think uh, I, I might explore with this group of, of characters. Now, as I mentioned, you're also uh, the, the the manager for this Kokotaza uh, uh, Audio Theater. Uh, can you talk a little bit about um, what it is and how uh, it was established? Yeah, uh, absolutely. So um, Kokotaso Media is actually the production company that my husband and I started. Um, that's Michael Aquino. And um, so we produce a couple of podcasts through Kokotaso Media. One is Kokotaso Audio Theater, and that's an audio drama podcast that showcases original full cast productions. And we present works of writers and performers from all backgrounds. And we're especially committed to highlighting artists of color. Um, And then the other podcast that we produce is a serialized fiction podcast about 12-year-old twins who travel through time to preserve Puerto Rico's true history. And we actually have spent the first half of this year developing and preparing the series um, through the Google Podcasts Creator Program, and that is in partnership with PRX. So we are really excited to bring the entire complete series of Timestorm to the world, and we're going to be doing that this August. And Timestorm, what is the, the what is the story that we'll be um, uh, hearing about when we listen to Timestorm? Yeah, so Alexa and Benny, they're 12-year-old twins. They're from Newark, New Jersey. Um, and uh, one day there's a thunderstorm, and they get uh, yanked into an interdimensional portal. And there they meet a, long, uh, lo- a, co- a distant cousin who uh, gives them this incredible mission that they are going to travel through time to um, preserve Puerto Rico's lost history. So they go back in time um, to Puerto Rico. Um, they meet... Um, various people who have contributed to Puerto Rico's um, culture, history, and legacy. And they travel beyond the island. They also go back to uh, the continent of Africa and Europe um, and to to really kind of pay homage to the entire mix of our culture. Of course, we're made up of not just uh, the indigenous and and the European, but also um, the African um, so that's that's basically time storm in a nutshell. Now, I'm curious. I know when you write a novel, it's sort of a solitary thing. You you write the book yourself. Is it a different sort of experience writing a script for this? Is it do you write it all out first, or is there a collaborative element with um, other people involved, actors, and so on? Yeah, it's definitely more collaborative. Um, the the development and the writing, um, a lot of that happens um, before we get with the actors. So Michael and I um, spent quite a bit of time developing the series. It actually um, started from a proposal for a stage play, um, and I had entered to a contest, and it didn't move forward, and I kind of had it in a drawer for a while, and then I took it out and realized that there was more of a story to tell there. It was a longer story. And um, and we had been exploring the medium of audio, and we just thought it was a really great fit, particularly because um, with something like time travel and science fiction, you can really kind of 
go lots of places with audio. Um, so we did a lot of development. And then once we cast and brought the actors in, uh, that really, it really blossomed the experience. I mean, it was just so much fun to work with the actors right now. Um, we have with main characters and guest actors for season one alone, we're up over 30, a cast of 30. So, uh, yeah, so it's really um, been great to do that. And we also actually brought on another um, writer. His name is Andrew because the it's such a big, large task to, to write a series. So we are collaborating in a few different ways. So you see uh, yourself sort of building on the series to make it something uh, that'll go on uh, uh, for a little bit, or do you have other stories in mind for future productions? Yeah. So for Timestorm itself, it's it's mapped out for four seasons and we're going to be uh, doing that. There are 10 episodes in each season. Um, and the the Coco Tasso Audio Theater, which is the other podcast, those uh, feature a lot of different standalone uh, pieces and that we bring in a lot of different writers. It's not just me writing it. So um, we've brought in a spoken word artists for um, for one thing that featured uh, poetry. We have uh, sh- very short pieces. I think our shortest play is a couple of minutes long, and then the longer standalone pieces are about a half hour. So for that, we definitely produce a lot of different stories. But um, but Timestorm is definitely going to be kind of like a longer series arc that we're going to expand and really kind of explore not only these past stories that happened in the past, but the contemporary storyline is actually set in 2017. And so the backdrop for that is the aftermath of Hurricane Maria. Um, and that really affects the uh, the Venturas, the family, uh, their family and their friends um, in Newark. So um so we really explore a lot in that piece. So a lot of the, the sort of recent history factors into this uh, the story that she wrote, the Time Storm. Yep, absolutely. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to. It. I mean, I love audiobooks, but the idea of actually uh, doing a whole theatrical production of uh, a story is it's to me uh, this is a very appealing thing. So I'm looking forward to that. Oh, great. Glad to hear it. <laughs> now, the book you chose is one of your favorite uh, young readers' books. It's called uh, Call Me Maria. And it's uh, written by Judith Ortiz Coffer. And it was published in 2015 by Scholastic. Uh, for readers who haven't had a chance, and I, I, had a, I hadn't had a chance to read this before, so it was, it was nice to be able to read it. Uh, can you talk a little bit of what it's about? Sure. So Call Me Maria is a novel written in letters, poems, and prose. And in this book, we meet Maria. She's a 15-year-old girl who was born in Puerto Rico, and she moves to New York City where she lives with her father in a basement apartment. And it's really, I think, a story of belonging to two places and trying to decide where to call home. And and I should tell you, Jody, that um, this book was it was on my my to read list um, when you reached out to me, and I had actually been looking rereading like old favorites. We talked about a couple different titles, and and I I came back to this book that was on my list, and and I I decided I wanted to to do this one because I just really loved how Judith Ortiz Kofer she plays with form, and um, uh, I love how she plays with form in this book, and I also feel like the Maria's story that 
of having ties to two different places and two different cultures is very timely. So, um, so I decided to do like a deep dive into this book. So I'm really happy I, I had the chance to do that. Oh, I'm as well. Cause like I said, it's a, it's a book I, I had not read. And like you mentioned, the main character is Maria and we, uh, meet Maria at this particular point in her life. Can you talk a little bit about who Maria is and what we learn about her, at least, uh, as she is uh, presented in the novel? Yeah, absolutely. So Maria, she sees the world through a poet's eyes. Uh, She's observant of the people around her, um, how they treat her. I think she's very aware of when she's being judged or accepted. Um, And she, like a poet, she describes her physical surroundings through metaphor. Um, Like One example of that is how she talks about the basement apartment that she lives in with her father as being a cave um, and that the, the boiler is the dragon. <laughs> so, um, so things like that, that, that come through her, how she sees the world. They're very poetic and it's really beautiful. Um, she's also very aware of the power of language and it's, it's something that she truly wants to master at first I think she's very focused on speaking, quote unquote, proper English, uh, English without an accent. Um, At one point, she says she wants to conquer English. But eventually she realizes how important uh, language is to uh, connecting with others and how important it is to her own creative expression. And so it's not necessarily about getting it perfect or getting it right, um, but more about the, the communication of it. As you mentioned earlier, Maria is sort of somebody who's caught uh, between two worlds. There's places, um, the barrio in New York and, and, and Puerto Rico, or two people as well, her mother and father, and even sort of these two images of herself. Um, and what's right, how does she go about navigating that sort of division she sometimes feels? Yeah, I think in the early part of the book, um, you know, she... Uh, the author is using Maria's memories. She's recalling these moments of her childhood in Puerto Rico where uh, with her mother. And, and at, in those moments, she's really calling herself um, Maria Alegre, which is Maria, happy Maria. Um, and so these some of these memories that that she recalls are, you know, dancing with her mother. There's music going on. And so these are just some of those happiest, happiest times. But then you know, in the backdrop of these memories, there's also um, a lot of her father's sadness comes forward. Um, it seems to kind of almost be looming in the background of those moments. And at one point, she even says, um, Bapi's sadness had become part of our family. So her father's sadness stems from, so he grew up in New York City, um, and here he is living uh, in Puerto Rico, but he doesn't feel like that's home to him. So he's he's torn, and he ultimately makes this decision to move back to what he feels is home for him. And that presents Maria with this choice of, um, is she going to stay in Puerto Rico with her mom, or is she going to move to New York City? Um, and she makes this choice to go to New York City. Um, and it's a complicated choice. Um, and, and I think after that choice, we see that she kind of vacillates between this um, Maria Alegre and then what she calls Maria Triste or Sad Maria. Um, 
And and when she's in the beginning of the book in particular, it, it's it's clear that she misses the island. She misses the the kind of colors, the textures, the food, the sounds that comes with the island. The um and she's trying to hold on to um, these old things in her life by recounting the memories that she had. And she also uses, um, she writes a lot of letters to her mother. That's another way she tries to kind of hold on to it. But then as the book continues and we see uh, Maria's life kind of unfolding in New York and it's becoming more of a home to her, um, she makes a point of saying she just wants to be called Maria without the, the, the alegre or the triste, which was kind of more associated with her childhood. Now, one thing that helps her to sort of feel a little bit more at home in New York, New York City is she develops this friendship uh, with another girl named um, Whoopi. And what is it that, that Whoopi brings to Maria's life that she really needs that makes her feel like this is more of a home to her now? Yeah, Whoopi's a great character. Um, so Whoopi is a Spanglish-speaking <laughs> New Yorkian girl, and uh, Maria actually describes her as a one-woman band, um, which I think kind of, uh, so Whoopi is loud, right? <laughs> she she speaks her mind. And so, so Maria is more of like a, a poet and just kind of like quietly observing and writing about, you know, what she sees around her. And Whoopi is not quiet. She likes to be heard she likes to be seen and um and maria i think even says oh i have this quote here um she pounces on life taking two steps at a time so here comes Whoopi into her life um when maria's not sure how to fit in and i i feel like maria gains almost a confidence in being around Whoopi. like how 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 can i speak up even if uh, I'm not certain about my my English or, uh, you know, I'm doubtful or I'm, I think I might be judged for my accent, um, how do I go ahead and speak up anyway? I think that's something that Whoopi brings to her. Uh, and I actually, there's another um, friend's character, Uma, that I just want to like quickly say that I find her fascinating because, um, so this character, she's Indian, but she really wants Maria to teach her how to dance salsa and how Puerto Ricans cook their rice. And and she's just fascinated by Maria's culture, which to me, I loved um, seeing because we see so much of Maria in the classroom and learning. So then when it's Uma who who wants Maria to teach her, that's also very, it's an interesting dynamic to see that the the roles flipped there and, and Maria in the teaching position. He touched upon this a little bit earlier, but it's through language that Maria really sort of engages and processes the world, paints the world really through these images. And it's, you know, there, there are a variety of languages that Maria sees herself, you know, through English, through Spanish, and through the Spanglish uh, of the barrio. And I don't know what you think this book is telling us about how we use words to help explain and shape our world, you know, no matter what sort of words that we use. Yeah. Yeah, this is this is I think at the heart one of the things that are that's at the heart of the book. So I think um I guess I'll start with the Spanglish. <laughs> um I think that for Maria that's that's really the the language of as you were saying el barrio. So she um she, while she's aware that she needs to stay on top of like her English and Spanish, she doesn't want to lose either of them. She also is very aware that Spanglish is what she calls the song you cannot get out of your head. 
She calls it, it has a rhythm, it has a beat, and you want to dance to it. So she knows that to kind of be this this girl in this neighborhood um, that she just needs to kind of flow into that and Whoopi like represents Spanglish 100%. So um, so it's it's kind of interesting to see how she just lets herself get taken in by that. And her father also speaks Spanglish too because this was his neighborhood. But um, in terms of Spanish, that's of course, it's Maria's native language and it's mostly tied to her parents and to Puerto Rico. And it she makes it very clear that she does not want to lose her first language. She loves it. But that English, it's almost like it's presented as the key to getting into a good college, which is, of course, for her, um, she values that. She really wants that to happen. And her mother is a teacher, so she probably, um, there's something in that as well. So it's interesting because there are several school scenes um, that highlight how Maria is concerned with how um, how she's learning English and she really wants to, you know, learn correct English and 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 um, speak it how she feels she needs to speak it. But then she's she also has, uh, I think, a fear that her poems will come across. At one point, she says that she fears her poems will come across with her accent. Um, and at one point in the book, she feels that that somehow makes that 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 diminishes its value but but then by the end of the book she understands that that's not the case she understands that that language in particular in poetry is less about being textbook perfect and more about capturing you know the world as she's experiencing it and a, a truth in language the feel of the language. Really. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you mentioned this earlier as well, that the structure of this book is unusual. It, it does have a narrative. It does have sort of a beginning, uh, middle, and end. But it's it's not a traditional uh, structure that is a, a, a um, prose novel. You know, like you said, part of it's poems, part of it's letters, some thumbnail sketches of people, of Maria's encounters, uh, reflections of what's going on in her mind. So what's the value of all these sort of this uh, different kind of types of writing uh, put together to give us um, different sort of aspects of what's going on with Maria. Yeah, I think, you know, it's interesting. I was thinking how Maria is learning that there are many ways to communicate. She herself is going through that process, whether it's in different languages or in writing and, and spoken. So it just is it's fitting that this novel is told in this kind of variety of literary forms. So, for example, the memories, and she calls these scenes from my island pa- island past, um, those are written in prose, and they, they set Maria's past as something um, completely different from that life in New York that we're about to experience her, experience with her. Um, and I think... Um, for example, the letters between uh, Maria and her mother, um, those uh, are really allow the mother almost to have a bigger role in the novel than she does. She comes in in the actual storyline. She comes in the very end for a couple of scenes. But because we have all these letters between her and her mother, the mother has a very a much larger presence in the story. Um, so I thought it was very smart the way um, uh, Judith Ortiz did that um, to bring the mother in in a, in a bigger way. Um, and I 
uh, one of the things I really love are these chapters that are set in different classrooms. Um, so we kind of get to see Maria learning English, poetry, um, science, grammar, math. And then in these scenes, and they're, 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 some of them are very short, but they're, they're so um, well constructed that, um, that the class, the scene will examine some personal aspect of Maria through the lens of that subject. So it's just really cleverly done. Um, and then, of course, interspersed throughout the book are Maria's poems. Um, and these, uh, most of them are dealing with identity in some way. One of the, it, I mean, a lot of it's about Maria discovering her, uh, the different aspects of herself. And one of them is, of course, she's really developing as a writer. She's becoming, uh, learning what it means to become a writer. And I'm just, what can we learn about from this book, what it takes to become a writer, at least through Maria's experience. Yeah, I, at one point Maria says, I do not yet have all the words I need to make poems. And well, <laughs> I think most writers are familiar, you know, <laughs> with this feeling. I know I am. Um, because there's that sense, of course, that, you know, we'll never have all the words we need. You know, we can always learn more, we can always read more, research more. And of course, you know, we want we want to do that. We want to learn more. Um, just just to be able to do that. But in the meantime, we can write with the words we have today and and tell that truth with the words we already have. And I think that that that's the greatest thing that she's able to kind of teach us in and when she learns that lesson. Um, I said, of course, <laughs> that's a lesson for me too. Um, I was I was curious about the endings. I'm going to give a little bit of a, a spoiler here. Uh, in a podcast I had done previously, I'd, I'd, I'd spoken to an author about another novel, uh, The Grand Plan to Fix Everything uh, by Uma uh, Krishnaswamy. And, and in that book, it, it's, it's a you know, it has a very happy ending, a sort of a, a fairy tale ending. And I asked the, the author at that time, uh, why sometimes it's important for kids to have, you know, books that have, you know, even if it's a little bit artificial, sometimes a happy ending. Now, this book is very different. There's, um, the mother and father don't reconcile. And Maria has to make a difficult choice about where she's going, if she's going to stay in New York, or is she going to go back? And, and, so it's, and it's not an easy choice. And there isn't this sort of, put together a reconciliation that happens in the end. So it doesn't necessarily have that happy ending. And I guess my question is, why is it sometimes important? I mean, sometimes it's important to have books with happy endings, but why is it important sometimes to have books where things don't necessarily, everything is tied up with a neat little bow at the end? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's a great point because of, of course, you know, I, I love stories with happy endings too, but I think there are, there certainly are plenty of them out there. Um, and so it's important to also have these stories as well. And so, you know, I think of, um, a teenager who might be going through something painful like family separation and reading a book like Call Me Maria can, can be a sense of, comfort and hope because here this character Maria she she makes it through those painful times um, and she's still holding on to her dreams she's still going after her dreams um, so I think it's important to have kind of that as a, as a model there and and also even for readers who are not experiencing this kind of trauma I think the book provides an opportunity for empathy um, and compassion um, and if maybe you see a friend or even a stranger who is going through something like that 
you can uh, understand where they might be coming from or, or what they need maybe um, from, from somebody else who isn't going through that, that uh, situation. So developing a little empathy. Yeah, absolutely. Now, are there any particular passages from the book that you'd like to share? Yeah, absolutely. I mentioned the the classroom scenes. I'm going to read one of those. So this is called English Declaration. I am the subject of a sentence. The subject of a sentence, underlined, is the part talked about. Maria, please read some of your poems to our class. I do not say this aloud. Oh no, Mr. Golden, I am afraid of what my classmates will think. I will be the subject of their insults. They will say, The girl thinks she is an American. Maria thinks she is good in English. The girl can't write. Maria speaks with an accent. The poems have an accent, just like Maria's. The poems are ugly. She is ugly. The teacher likes Maria. Maria is the teacher's little pet. He will say to the class, you are fools. The class will laugh at Maria. They will hate her and her poem. Find the subject in these sentences. Their laughter is what Maria Alegre fears. Also their mockery of her still thick accent and their teasing about her poetry. She will turn into Maria Triste. They are silent. They are waiting for her to read her poems. When she finishes reading, she is amazed by what she hears. Applause. People are looking at her in a different way. In our society, poets are often ignored, Mr. Golden says, and almost always poor. Yet they are never unemployed. They are always at work, on the job, looking for the truth. Maria, you are a poet, Mr. Golden declares. That's it. So many things going on there. It's funny and heartbreaking and triumphant all at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Danya, thank you so much for... Uh, Picking this book, uh, like I said, it's, it's always nice to reread books, but it's it's, it's especially nice to uh, find a book that I haven't read before and um, and and one like this. So it's always exciting to get a to hear a new voice and maybe introduced to an author who I hadn't read yet. And uh, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today about it. Thank you, Jody. This has been so much fun. You can find Dania's website at www.daniaramos.com. The Cocotazo Audio Theater at www.cocotazomedia.com. Thank you for joining me on Dream Gardens. The theme music, titled All Together, is provided courtesy of Purple Planet Music. You can visit them at www.purpleplanet.com. Podcast cover art was created through Canva, which can be found at www.canva.com. You can visit me at jleemont.com or follow me on Twitter at DreamGardensJLM. The Dream Gardens podcast is also available through iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. If you like what you hear, please comment, share, or subscribe. 
And if you'd like to participate in the Dream Gardens podcast, go to the contact page on my website and send me a note telling me who you are and what book you'd like to talk about. And until next time, keep dreaming, keep growing, and keep reading. <laughs>